0: The first reading is taken from Genesis, chapter 42, verses 1 to 25. Genesis, chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? he said. They said, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, On the third day Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for
1: them. The second reading is from Genesis chapter 45 from verse 1 to 15. Genesis chapter 45 Verse one. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? these two years, and yet there are yet five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry! so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honour in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Here ends the Bible reading.
2: Well, good morning, folks. It would be great if you could grab a Bible and look back up to Genesis chapter 42. And why don't I pray as we open up God's word to us. Oh, our Father, you promise that the unfolding of your word brings light. And so by your spirit, shine the light of your word into our hearts this morning, we pray, that we will hear you and that we may be changed. Amen. Well, it was a day like any other day for Joseph. He woke up early and headed down to the grain distribution plant that he had set up and he personally oversaw. And as he rode through the streets of Cairo in his chariot, He bantered with the storeholders who were selling cloaks with pictures of the pyramids on the back for really inflated prices to unsuspecting tourists. And on each side of the chariot, as he passed by, people would bow down to him, as was befitting a man of his station. Yes, it was a day like any normal day. And it was a normal group of customers who filed in after his mid-morning cup of coffee and bowed down to him to show their respect. But as they lifted their faces, he couldn't help but notice the shape of this one's nose, the scar on this one's cheek from that run-in with the wolf all those years ago. And Joseph realises that his past has caught up with him. He thought that he had got far, far away from his dysfunctional family. He says as much, At the end of Genesis chapter 44, he says, God made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. His life, his heart, his head are in Egypt now, but it only takes a moment for that all to be turned on its head. I wonder if he flinched inwardly. There was a little gasp going on in his head. We don't know because he keeps his game face on unbelievably well. (laughs) Because he recognises them, but they don't recognise him. Uh, Perhaps that's because it's been 20 years and he's no longer a callow youth. He's all grown up and he's got his head totally shaved. It's, It's completely hairless in the Egyptian manner. And he's speaking to them through an interpreter. But for us to understand this story, we've got to grasp that. Three times at the start of Genesis 42, we get the word recognize. It's as if the writer wants us to underline that in highlighter pen. What happens next only really works because Joseph recognizes them, but his brothers don't recognize him. And chapters 42 to 45 of Genesis, that we're looking at this morning they're like a mini version of the whole story of joseph they teach us all about the doctrine of the sovereignty of god out of the confusing and surprising and painful details of the story of this family's life god is weaving together an incredible happy ending that none of us would have guessed unless we knew how it ended The story is going somewhere because God is writing and directing it. And in these chapters, it's like like Joseph actually is in God's place. He is the one who knows things that the brothers don't. He's the only one who sees the bigger picture. And the things he does Uh, surprising confusing and painful things to the brothers so they 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 don't understand why he's doing them and we don't understand that at points too they don't get it but but we do get inklings of it because the story is going somewhere because Joseph is directing it to bring blessing and reconciliation to his family of course, it certainly doesn't look like that as we dive in in Genesis uh, 42. The first thing that we see is the harsh face of Joseph. I mean, look at how he speaks to them in verse seven. He, He treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Then he accuses them of being spies in verse 10. And then he throws them in jail in verse 17. But Joseph is clearly... Testing them to try and find out what's been going on with his family. Is his brother Benjamin, his father Jacob's other favoured brother, is he at risk just like Joseph had been when he was at home? Have his brothers repented of their sin towards him? Have they changed at all or are they all still trying to cover it up? Well, the answer is clear. As they protest in verses 10 and 11, your servants have just come to buy food. We are honest men. We're not spies. Oh, come off it, boys. That's only half the truth, isn't it? You may not be spies. You may only have come just to buy food, but you're certainly not honest men. Just think about what you did to your brother. They're still clinging to the appearance of decency and self-righteousness that we all try to do to cover up our sin. But Joseph is about to confront them with that sin in verses 18 and 20. He introduces the fear of the Lord into the conversation and presents them with a, a perfect setup, a, a case scenario that will give them a, an incredible opportunity to hand Benjamin over in the same way they handed him over all those years ago. They know that this man in front of them has the power of life and death over them. <laughs> Joseph just has to click his fingers, and the Egyptian Secret Service will take them out the back, and no one will even find fingers. So what will they do? Will they throw Benjamin under the bus to save their own skins? Verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why his distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. The brother's facade begins to crumble, doesn't it? Sure, they came needing food, but God through Joseph is showing them that they have a deeper need to be confronted with the reality of their sin. Folks, if we were to... Wake up one morning and pray. Oh, Lord, bless me today. I'm sure we wouldn't have imagined for a a million years that God would take us through something like this. And yet God is working here for the brother's good. It's only in the kindness of God that he shows us the ugliness of our sin so that we can turn to him And confess our sin and seek forgiveness and reconciliation with him and with others i don't know about you but my reaction when my sin is exposed is to be reluctant to humble myself and own up to it instead i become defensive or angry or start to try and make excuses But when that is all that happens, there can be no repentance and therefore no hope of reconciled relationships. It seems like the only thing better than learning from our own mistake is learning from others' mistakes. And so are we willing to learn from the mistakes of these men? The brothers are racked with guilt, not false false guilt. That can be so dangerous, can't it? But good guilt, healthy guilt. And embracing it would put them on the road to mercy and forgiveness. It would put them on the road to an unburdening, a liberation from having to carry the terrible burden of their guilt all by themselves. But they don't see it. All they could see was the harsh face of this man in front of them. And they thought, God is punishing us for our sin. He is rubbing our faces in what we've done. This cannot end well. If only they could have read verse 24. Then he, that's Joseph, turned away from him and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. Behind the harsh face, Joseph weeps out of love for his brothers. And then he returns to the room, having made good his mascara, I presume, pretending that nothing has happened. The brothers don't know of the tears that he has shed for them. And so at the end of chapter 42, they slope off back to Canaan, they take a long time coming back up the garden path because not one of them wants to come to that moment when they're going to have to say to their dad, you've lost another son. Because, verse 24, Joseph keeps Simeon back in prison. And even though he sends the brothers off with bulging sacks of grain and their money back in their bags and a load of great munchies for the uh, road home, in verse 25, Their match report to Jacob is full of doom and gloom. He spoke roughly to us, they say, in verse 30. So that even the gifts in their sack strike fear not joy into their hearts. In verse 35. But the work of God goes deep. And something is stirring in the brothers. Something is happening as the next thing we see as we move into the next few chapters, is secondly, the brother's miraculous change. I don't know if you've seen those before and after adverts that you get on billboards and, or you see on uh, the, the metro uh, above the seats. Whether it's a, a weight loss plan or hair loss plan or, or anti-aging cream, the before picture is always a really, really extreme case, isn't it? It, it's not just someone with a mildly receding hairline, uh, because then we wouldn't be impressed when we see, we see this huge kind of swirl of luscious hair in the afterpick. No, it's, it's usually some uh, bloke with uh, just a few little strands of hair that he's combed over a red, itching scalp, so that when we see the afterpick, uh, we go, wow, okay, so this, this cream really does the business. Okay, okay, often we look at the afterpick and we go, is that actually the same person? But, but, but folks, if everything in the story arc of Joseph's family up to this point has been the before pick, chapters 43 to 44 give us the after one. They're back in Canaan and the nine sacks of grain become eight and then seven and then six, and you can see where I'm going with this, until it's down to the last sack, and there's no other thing for it but to contemplate going back to Egypt to get more food. But Joseph, the viceroy of Egypt, has made it perfectly clear that they are not getting any more food unless they bring Benjamin with them. And Jacob is having none of it. So there is an impasse until we get to chapter 43 and verse eight. And Judas said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be the pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Cue the sound of jaws dropping. Here's the before picture. Back in Genesis 38, Judah has selfishly held back his son from a woman he promised him to in marriage as her husband. And then he gives his staff to a prostitute in pledge for payment because he doesn't have his wallet on him as payment for selfish sexual pleasure. And yet here he is offering his life as a pledge for Benjamin. This is the wow moment, folks. God is working in these brothers' selfish hearts to change them. And so as they saddle up their donkeys and head back to Egypt, look at what is happening in verse 15, so the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. <laughs> Folks, these are the men who thought nothing of trading in their brother Joseph's life for 20 pieces of silver. But now the fear of the Lord has transformed them into those who would trade nine sacks worth of silver for Jacob's other favoured son's life. Greed ran deep in them, as it does us all. Probably not deep enough to sell a family member, I would hope. But that was the before picture for these guys. And here's the after. Wow. And what about their jealousy? Jealousy. Well, Joseph invites them round for dinner. And in verse 32, they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were being taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. 20 years ago, These guys hated their spoiled little brother, hated him so much that they threw him in a pit with murderous intent. And now here they are at dinner and another of their brothers is being spoiled rotten. Uh, I mean, Joseph keeps passing things down from, from the top table, from his table. Um, oh, Benjamin, you must try uh, the last of this uh, boiled shrimp. Um, uh, Simeon, could you just um, uh, pass this on? Uh, uh, no, 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 it's not for you. Could you just pass it on um, to, uh, uh, to, to Benjamin? That, that'd be very kind of you. Joseph is testing his brothers again to see whether they've turned from their sin, to see whether they've really changed. So have they? How will they respond? Not a word. Even as verse 34, the drink keeps coming uh, and the tongues get loosened. I mean, isn't that often uh, the point where family fights break out? And yet they're brothers. There's not a word of complaint from them. Not a hint of envy. You see the before picture this is a family that, defined by, that was defined by selfishness and greed and jealousy. So much so they would kill one another or sell one another. And yet here's the after. Feasting as a family and making merry. The Lord knows how to change his people. And so the Lord can change you and me too. Because folks, when I look at my own heart, I see selfishness and jealousy and greed. that has been there, honestly, for years. So much so that sometimes I'm tempted to despair because it's still lurking there. I wonder if you feel like that too. Well, don't despair. God knows how to change his people. Don't give up on change for yourself or for others, not least our families. Joseph's family always makes me think of a book I was once given for Christmas called All Families Are Psychotic. I don't think that was a comment on my family in particular, but the book itself is an acknowledgement that while we talk about some families as being broken or dysfunctional, All families, even the best of families, often behind closed doors, are dysfunctional. Family life is difficult, it's hard in this broken, sin-stained world of ours. But here is what God wants us to know about our families this morning. There is hope, whatever our family situation, God has not given up on your family. God never gives up on families, just like He never gives up on us. So, in your struggles with family, please take that great advice that Elspeth gave us earlier on in the service in that interview and ask for help. Don't just struggle on by yourself, make a plan. Uh, a plan to be positive and to change what you can change and not just grumble and complain about what you can't. And to be patient. Uh, I mean, after all, Joseph's family's great transformation, it didn't happen overnight. This took 20 years to, to happen. Uh, they were thrown in prison. They ended up in the pit. It was rough. But here we see the after picture God is showing us this to say to us, to show us that if He can even change this family, then there is hope for our family too. And so let's finish by lastly looking at the happy ending, as in chapter 45, we see the big reveal. This is the moment that this whole story has been building up to is at the start of 45. Joseph, uh, when he realises the work that God has been doing in his brother's life, as he sees that they're they're confessing their sin, they're owning up to it. And they're willing to lay down their lives for their brother Benjamin. He, He just can't control himself any longer. He rips off the mask. He goes, it is I, your brother Joseph. But Joseph is not just revealing his face to them. He's also revealing God's hidden plan behind his family's history. As in verse five, he says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Then again in verse seven, he says, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then verse eight too. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God was behind it all. And so the brothers can see that behind the harsh face of Joseph, there was a hidden plan. The hidden plan of God working for their good and for others also. In fact, it wasn't only Joseph's face that they misjudged, but God's also, wasn't it? They thought as their sin was being unveiled, as things just seemed to be unravelling around them, that, that God was against them the whole time. And so I think the final thing that we need to learn here this morning is not to flinch when it seems to us, when it feels to us as if God is being harsh with us. For the reality is that change is painful. The stripping away of jealousy and selfishness and and greed and a whole multitude of other sins that God needs to get to grips with us about. The stripping away of that sin is difficult. It can be painful. Often the things that we need to go through to change can hurt and hurt us deeply. But behind it, God has a hidden plan, a good one. It's for our good. And as we look at the brothers before and the brothers after, I think that helps us not to flinch when it seems to us that God is being rough with us. When we can't see what he's doing, when we we can't see how he could possibly be doing any good to us in the midst of this. Because it shows us that he can. He can. He can be doing good. He can be doing something amazing, something beautiful, something wonderful so that when we do come to the great big reveal at the end of all history, we will be amazed and we will thank him for what he did, for what he took us through. Now, it doesn't, ta- doesn't lessen the steps along the way, the pain of that. I know but I think it helps to know that behind the harsh face, there is a wonderful hidden plan. And let me push that a little bit further and say, behind the harsh face, Jesus weeps. Joseph wept in, faith, in, in, in private. His brothers didn't know anything about that. And I wonder when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus, when we see his face, might there be tear stains on his cheeks from the things that he has allowed us to go through? Lovingly, wisely, yes. But also tearfully for our good to change us. And if that is you this morning... And life is rough and it seems to you as if all you are seeing is, isn't is God's love. It's just his harsh face. And you don't know why. Well, maybe, maybe this is the reason why. That God wants to show you who he really is. He wants to show you his real face so that you will move towards him and will discover his face of love, the face that wants to bring you into his peace and his life and his hope. The peace and life, the hope that we're all striving and searching for in so many different and wrong places. And if you're struggling to believe that this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish with a song written by a man, who can bear testimony to this in the same way as Joseph and his brothers can bear testimony to this truth. A guy called William Cooper, who struggled with depression all of his life, so much so that he tried to end his life on numerous occasions. But each time his best laid plans were thwarted in the most surprising and bizarre ways. So much so that he gave up in the end. And he penned these words. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence there hides a smiling face. Normally I would encourage you to stand and sing at this point, even in your living rooms. But sometimes there are moments when it's just good to sit and to ponder and to pray things through. So why don't we use this song now to do just that?